So every church has the potential to be a great church. The question is, what's the difference between those that are great, as Pastor Duane prayed, those that please the heart of God and those that don't? Because our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, I will build the church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We also know that if we reel back the time and go back to uh, the call of God on the people of God, he said, I will make the descendants of Abraham as numerous as the sands are on the seashore. So what is it that prevents a church or gets in the way of a church being great? Why are some churches healthy, vibrant, effective, life-giving, dynamic, and others are unhealthy, weak, discouraging, ineffective, and downright nasty? What's the difference? We know that the gates of hell cannot ruin what Christ himself is building, but we also know that rebellious hearts of God's people can resist what God wants to do. And as I've thought about things, I've studied the Old Testament, studied the New Testament, and studied the realities of life in the church today, there seems to me to be three things that smother the life out of a church. Smother the life out of whether or not God's group of people will be effective or not. The first is the cherry-picking of truth. Picking and choosing what you will uh, agree with, what you will live by, and discarding other things. It's the whole idea of consumeristic worship. The, the second thing that squeezes the life out of a church is entanglement in the ways of the world connectedness or remaining connected to sin. And the third is a passive engagement in God's mission. Just simply not having a spiritual vision or a heart for the things that God wants to do. Those three things, whether you look in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or any modern church, are the three major reasons why a church might be smothered from being effective and useful to God. That's the reason why at Calvary... Um, our, our vision, our mission, and in particular, our, our, what we would call our ministry business plan has to do with worship, connect, and reach because it identifies and directs our attention to those three main areas that can cause a church to be a, either effective or ineffective. The whole idea of cherry-picking truth? No, we call it uh, worshiping the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our, our, our uh, bodies, all of our self abiding by his word, choosing to obey his word. Worship is a big deal here at Calvary Baptist Church. We choose to, uh, instead of being entangled and continue to be committed to sin, to be committed and connected to one another. And that's why connect is the second in our how we uh, make disciples here at Calvary Baptist Church. We connect with one another, applying God's truth, stimulating one another, spurring one another on to love and, and good works. And then, of course, reach. We engage in a spiritual vision, a mission uh, of reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so those three things are, are the major spiritual business model of Calvary Baptist Church that is a counteractive to what we see in the old, the new, and the present in terms of ineffectiveness. At issue for every mission that names the name of Jesus Christ is whether or not we will be Christ-centered or shaped by the culture. 
And that makes all the difference in the world. We're really excited about this new series in 1 Corinthians, learning to live in Christian community. And uh, I hope you're excited about it as well. Um, The Corinthian church was at a crossroads, a critical crossroad. It was only about four years old. We're going to talk a little bit about that by way of introduction this morning to help us uh, get introduced. But if if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, please turn or punch in 1 Corinthians... And the people with the Bibles, when you get 1 Corinthians, hold it up fast. There you go. See, they already beat the electronic guys. I know, you're trying. I get it. All right, here we go. Corinthians was at a crossroads. It was founded in 51 AD on Paul's second missionary journey. It, uh, it's uh, currently in the land of Greece. And uh, um, uh, Paul, as I said, you can read about it in Acts chapter 18 uh, and 19. Uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians, which is probably 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is probably 3 Corinthians because he, he refers in 1 Corinthians of writing another letter. It just didn't make the grade as far as God was concerned in terms of insp- inspiration of his word. It was important for the Corinthians, but not important for us. But 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are absolutely important to us. And in, in um, AD 54, 55, while Paul was founding the church in Ephesus, he gets a report from the people in Corinth the, the brand new fledgling church that there was a lot of trouble in Corinth, a lot of trouble in the church. And so he fires off a really nasty letter first, which God decided not to keep, not to preserve. And uh, the one that you, you're supposed to put on the top of your desk and, and wait for a couple of days before you send it. But uh, he sent it anyway, and, and God decided not to immortalize it. And so um, Paul fires off a really nasty letter because he was, it was told him by the uh, household of Chloe that there was fighting, there was pr- pride, there was arrogance. Um, they believed they were smarter than God's apostle. Uh, there was favoritism and preferences. There was rampant immorality, disobedience to God's word. It was all about the show and spiritual spectacular stuff. And bottom line... Um, they were struggling in the whole area of depending on the right resources and aiming at the right measurements. Um, churches in trouble fail in these two areas. Now, um, if we were to understand the nature of, of the church in Corinth, we need to understand the backdrop of the city of Corinth and what the people who were rescued out of, out of uh, lostness were really dealing with. Uh, Corinth was... Um, a, a very, very pagan city. Um, in fact, uh, a, a religious city which had multiple, uh, a multiple smorgasbord of gods available. Uh, it's suggested that there were, at the time of the Apostle Paul, probably about 12 temples in uh, the city of Corinth. Looming large in the landscape, even today, after 2,400 years, is the Temple to Apollo. A, a looming structure that if you go to Corinth, you will see. And we have a picture of it up there. And there it is. And, and uh, that's the, the temple of Apollo. Now, you need to know that Apollo, in Greek mythology, was the son of Zeus. Now, if you know anything about your Greek mythology, how many studied it in high school? Did they drop that after? I, I mean, I'm, I know I'm old, but we used to have to study that stuff. And uh, Apollo was the son of Zeus. Zeus, in Greek mythology, was the king of the gods. So in other words, he was the god. And Apollo is the son of the god. 
So you can understand, as you start to think about the whole deal in, in Corinth, about the backdrop of, of what these people came out of, you realize, and Apollo, of course, was the god of, of uh, truth, the god of prophecy, the god of sun and light. He had a sister by the name of Aphrodite, and there was a temple of Aphrodite, and of course she was the goddess of love, and so you had all kinds of sensuality. There was a thousand uh, temple prostitutes. So marriage, uh, women were degraded. The, the, in fact, um, uh, there was also the, the god Asclepius. And uh, those of you who know Asclepius, Asclepius is the god of healing. Um, in fact, the symbol of Asclepius was the two serpents winding around each other. You've, you've probably seen that symbol if you've gone by a drugstore or a doctor. Uh, still maintaining the old Greek uh, uh, symbol of the god Asclepius, which I think should be dropped, but and nevertheless, that has uh, still hung on even into our culture today. And so you have this mishmash of, of gods and, and possibilities, and, and the, the city of Corinth, so uh, wicked and evil was it that in the ancient world, if you were considered a loose-living person, you were called a, a Corinthianosomai. Uh, in other words, a, a Corinthianite. It, it was a, a put-down. If you said, well, man, you, you're, a, you're nothing but a Corinthianite. It was like, you are the lowest of low in terms of morality. It was sin city. Okay? And the problem with the people of Corinth, the major issue with the church in Corinth, is they were used to picking their teachers, they were used to picking their educators, their trainers, randomly uh, sexual partners, random parties, and picking their gods. It was a city of great wealth, a city of great affluence. It was a city of great commerce. It was a, a, a big deal trading center, a big deal marketing center. It was a place filled with materialism. Materialism, sensuality, and religious selectivity. Kind of sounds like the GTA, doesn't it? And so here's where these people grew up. And so most of us would be saying, wow, this is the church? Yeah, this is the church. It was described this way. By one of the writers, the church was described this way. It uh, was filled with sexual immorality. They ate food sacrificed to idols. They were drunk at the Lord's table. They had all kinds of asserting of personal rights, suing each other, flaunting social convention, competition and chaos in the exercise of their spiritual giftedness. They were promoting celibacy and disbelieved in the bodily resurrection of people. How would you like to go to that church? The challenge is there, as you read through the book of Corinthians, there are elements of the church at Corinth, even in our church. As we um, will find our way through this study, we will realize, wow, in some ways it's describing my life. So when the Apostle Paul writes to these people, as he does in 1 Corinthians, we're thinking to ourselves, why doesn't he just give up on them? I mean... They're so bad. They have so many problems in the church. He's over in Ephesus just doing a new missionary deal. Why doesn't he just like 
wipe his hands and say, like, I've had enough of them. But we don't see that. In fact, if you've read the text, and those of you who have been studying ahead, you have already, you realize that the Apostle Paul is actually writing the front end of this, a great celebration. He's incredibly excited about the church at Corinth. I mean, he's given a big woo-hoo about this church. He's saying, I thank God for you. I, I'm really excited about you. Listen, let's read it, and, and you can hear for yourself. Listen, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. Oh God, this morning as we open up your word and, and uh, look there and, and find uh, the expression of an effective church and what it really means to serve you with all of our hearts and what it means to, to as Pastor Duane said, to be a church that really pleases the heart of God. I pray, oh Father, that you would help us in this series, that you would launch this and this journey in our lives, and we would never look back and never be the same. That I pray, Father, we would take a, a real spiritual leap forward together as a church in the way of effectiveness and bringing joy and gladness to your heart. So, Father, open up our eyes, open up our wills and our desire to be all that we can be in Christ Jesus, I pray, for his sake. Amen. Well, um, what is it that really excites Paul. Well, there's a, there's a lot of things going on in Corinth that are really exciting, and they really teach us things about church and why we should be excited about the, the least little evidence of God's work among us, because that's what Paul was really about. And, you know, interesting there, we find that, that Paul goes to Corinth in his missionary journey, and he meets two people called Priscilla and Aquila. They were actually Italians who were refugees kicked out of Italy because of the, of the persecution that came upon uh, uh, the religious people there, Jews there, in fact, they were Jews. And so they went to Corinth, and, and Paul led them to Christ, and they got to know the Lord. And you know that Priscilla and Aquila became really uh, um, dynamic and useful servants of God. Now, are you paying attention to the whole idea of refugees being kicked out of their land, having to go to another land, and, and hearing the gospel and being converted to Christ? And then, and then Paul is teaching, as he always did, his practice was to go to the synagogue first and bring the gospel to the Jews, and, and the Jews weren't really listening to him, but a guy by the name of Crispus, who you can read in Acts 18 and 19, Crispus was the, the synagogue leader, or literally the pastor of the synagogue, he converts to Christ, he comes to know Christ and becomes a champion of the gospel along with the apostle Paul. And, and so the Jews still weren't having anything to do with, with uh, Christianity, so Paul goes to the Gentiles, and, and a lot of them are coming to Christ, and he's very excited about them, and they represent probably a couple of house churches. That's, that's probably all there was in Corinth at the time, is a couple of house churches of, of converts, of believers who had come to Christ. And Paul is really excited about them, and, and there's a new leader who takes over the synagogue, and his name is Sosthenes. Try and say that one three or four times, Sosthenes. I don't want Graydon to hear that name, or he'll name my next grandson that, I'm sure. But um, 
Sosthenes was the leader of the synagogue. And if you noticed in the first verse as we're reading, the Apostle Paul uh, drags out his credentials and a homeboy from Greece by the name of Sosthenes to give credibility to his letter who had come to Christ as well. So every time the, the evil one puts somebody in charge of the synagogue, he comes to know Christ. It's just an amazing thing and become believers. And so um, whether they're religious leaders who are misguided or not, they are not too far out of the reach of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is giving a big woo-hoo at the front end of this letter because he's very excited, not only about what God has, has already done and he's seen it, but the fact that there are people that are in a church that have come out of paganism and regardless of how much they're struggling and how frustrating they were to him and how nasty they were to him, and how big a pain in the neck they were to him, they were God's people. They were people of Jesus Christ. And he's so excited about the fact that they are manifesting evidence of Christ in their lives, even though it was needing to be worked on. He was so excited about that and, and so convinced that God could do powerful and mighty things that he can only give God thanks and say, I know you're going to do powerful things with this group of people. And so he's excited about this. And that's how he introduces to us the letter. And he teaches us something. You know, we often so easy to give, we're so ready to give up. We so become so impatient with people, especially people who are brand new believers. They just come out of the world. And they have a lot of rough edges on them. And they don't know how to act like a Christian. And, and often we just, we don't realize that, that, that they need help, they need patience, they need encouragement, they need long-suffering, they need love, they need a coach to come along like this and say, listen, I believe in you because God has called you and I know God will do an amazing work in your life and I'm not going to give up on you, I, I, no matter what, I'm not giving up on you. And that's what, what people need and that's what Paul teaches us here, that he's not going to give up on them because God is going to do an amazing work in their life. He describes what God's begun to do and he's convinced what God can do and will do and that's the essence of his thanksgiving here so with that all in mind and uh, the the text before us I want to look at four characteristics very quickly with you of a great church God's called out church church that has the right measurements a church that understands the right right resources and and the first of it is you have to have confidence in your identity you have to know who you are you have to understand your individual call before a church can be great, its, its individual members have to understand who they really are. You uh, who have been called by Jesus Christ no longer have an identity crisis. You no longer have identity confusion. You are identity confident. At least that's what God wants you to be. And I want to show you that that's how Paul introduces himself. He says, listen, I know who I am. I am Paul, called to be an apostle. I don't wonder if, you know, because I'm taking a lot of hassle and a lot of heat and everything, well, maybe I should just go back to tent making. It was a lot easier sewing tents together. No, he said, I know who I am. I'm Paul, and I've been called to be an apostle. I've been called to build the church of Jesus Christ. I've been called to journey around and plant churches. I know who I am, and I've been called by the will of God. I'm convinced of who I am. And he says, and I got this guy with me, and it's a name that's familiar to you by the name of Sosthenes, and he knows who he is, and he's endorsing what I'm saying. And then he says to them, and this is who you are, look what he says, to the 
church. The word, we'll see church a lot, simply word means, it's ecclesia, it means called out by God. A gathering of people called by God. It's not unique to the New Testament, it's also in the Old Testament. When God calls out a people, they are his ecclesia. And that's who we are. To the church of God in Corinth. Now, the backdrop is 12 temples of gods. And Paul says, I don't want you to have an identity crisis. I don't want you to want to, you know, because you're going to find out that they're, they're going to this temple, going to that temple. They're all over the place. He says, I, you need to know who you are. You are a people called out by the God of gods in Corinth to be sanctified. Isn't that what it says? To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere. That's where it gets to us who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He said, I want you to know who you are. You are saints. Now, when you study, if you've read the, the 1 Corinthians letter and you've heard of all the things they're doing, probably the first identity idea that comes to your mind is not saints. And, and there are other, other expressions of pseudo-Christianity that have hijacked this word saint. And they only use to qualify certain special people who have apparently had a vision of God. The Bible says that if you have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Got any saints here this morning? Oh, got a couple. Got some work to do in evangelism then, Pastor Steve. You are a saint. Now, this ought to be an encouragement to you as you look in the mirror any given morning. Just look in that mirror once again. It's like, you know. Looking back at me is Saint Rick. You know what I'm saying? Saint Nicholas. You know what I'm saying? You, you are Saint Nicholas. He's got to get a whiter beard. It's, it's coming. We, we, are called, it, it, we are called literally here saints who are being sanctified. Now, I know the word says sanctified, but sanctified. We are saints. If you have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Um, you, you are owned by God, distinct from all the other gods. You've been set apart for a specific use, a saint. The use is to serve God. Whatever you were, you are no longer. In other words, Paul's saying to them, you know, you once were this, you once were that, but whatever you were, you are no longer now. You are a distinct Human in the world called a saint. And you are to be holy. You have been picked out and picked for God's team to be in shape and ready for God's assignment. If you want to understand your, your identity, that's who you are. You need to be confident about your identity. You don't wonder, I'm not sure what I am. I'm not sure who I am. You are a saint called to be used of God at his beck and call, and to prepare your life and equip your life so that you can be useful to him. Listen, let me put it in 
in the very uh, uh, current cultural reality. Let's, let's pretend that, that Paul was talking to the locker room of the Blue Jays. Anybody know who they are? So we got a baseball coach, manager, stands in front of the Blue Jays, and he says to them, you are the Jays. Called out, owned by Rogers in Toronto to be ball players. That's the same thing that Paul said to Christians, only put into sports terminology. Now, you have been chosen out of thousands of young men to be ball players. Anybody wonder what their identity is? You're confused about your identity? You're confident? Who you, you're, you're a ball player. You're not just a ball player when you go out on the field. You're always a ball player. So what we wouldn't expect is for some of those to sit around and say, well, you know what? I'd, I'd just rather spend most of my days going to the movies. I, I'd, you know, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather go out and eat right now. I, I, if you don't mind, I'd rather womanize. Uh, coach, I, I'm hoping you're okay with this, but, but, but I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather play for the other team. I hope you don't mind, but uh, I'm going to spend my time just getting drunk. You okay with that? I, I'm going to let my body go to pot before that meant something different. In fact, um, if you don't mind, when I do get called to play, I'm going to run to third base instead of first, because it's a shortcut. <laughs> this is what Paul faced in the church. This is what we face in church, is people who the scriptures declare their identity but instead of preparing themselves and being useful and being always ready for the call of the owner, it's all distracted doing whatever. People in a great church know their identity. They know who they are. The community is only as effective as the spiritual quality of its individual members. And so the question is put before us, Will you let go of the world so you can take hold of the Christ life? Because our measurement isn't about our activity. It doesn't matter how many baseball gloves the Blue Jays have. It doesn't matter how many Bibles we have at Calvary. It matters whether or not you can use the glove and make a catch. It matters whether you know what your Bible says and, and how it shapes your life and how it is used by God to sanctify you. Saints, because that's who you are. You're a saint owned by God, paid for by Christ's blood, called to be in use, useful, all in, useful to God. Because that's who you are, and he is more completely making you who you already are.
Now, um, secondly, we need to understand after we have discovered who we actually are, how we are to invest our energy. A great church has people who know and understand where to invest their energies. Look at verses 4 and 5. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. The challenge that was happening in Corinth was that these individuals were excited and enthusiastic about the investment that God had made in them by way of gifts. We're going to talk lots more about this later on, and I can only touch on it now here because Paul has touched on it. Each one of you who is a saint, who has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, has been given at least a gift or gifts to spiritually use, to, to, to be able to, to, to be used to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. Gifts are, are really given by Christ, given by the Holy Spirit, to resource the building of the new temple. And we are the temple of the living God. And so the Corinthians were very excited, it appears, by how Paul sort of puts in a little bit of a dig here. They were very excited about their speaking ability and their newly acquired knowledge of the deeper things of God. Now keep in mind, they're only four years old in the Lord, maximum. And you, you need to know that in the backdrop, or you already probably know this, but the backdrop of Greece is that the Greeks were enamored by what? Don't be afraid, I won't. They were afraid by, they were, they were enamored with wisdom and knowledge, exactly. So now they've been given this amazing gift from the Lord to understand the deep truths of Scripture. This, this, uh, this new religion that has come to Greece and the philosophers are amazed. And, and, and where did you become so smart? Now, so now they're very excited about their gift. And the problem with that is that they were enthusiastic about the gifts that Christ had given to them, but they weren't all that enthusiastic about Christ. And the danger that happens so often in our lives is when you come to know Jesus, he always gives you something. He always gives you the evidence of his work and his reality in your life. That's what Paul's talking about, confirming that Christ was in them. That's why he was excited about them. Their lifestyle wasn't making him very excited. But what they had from Christ was undeniable. And he knew that they had been given gifts of the Spirit. The problem is that God is not interested in, in, in simply us becoming a better form of paganism. Christianity wasn't to become a new and improved guilt-free pagan. It wasn't to become, simply become rich in the, in the gifts that God would give us and, and our lifestyle wouldn't make any difference. Wouldn't, there would be no change in our lifestyle. There are a lot of people who claim to know Jesus Christ, but they look exactly like the culture around them. They have tasted of Christ. They've experienced Christ. They actually have the, the, a relationship with the Spirit of Christ. They actually have evidence of, this, of, of, of gifts within them, but they don't live any differently. They just have sort of, they've just acquired the gifts of the Spirit and added them to their already worldly life. That's the state of the church. That's the state of churches that aren't effective. 
And Paul says, this wasn't the gifts that you've been given weren't so that you'd be the talk of the town. They weren't so that you could be big man on campus in Greece now. Like, look at me, I'm wise. No, no, the reason that the gifts were given, that you might be enriched, what does it say in the text? In Him, in Christ, you have been enriched in every way. The point of these gifts are to not take you away from the giver, but to draw you closer to the giver. To make you more like Him. In Him, in Jesus, you have become enriched so that all that you now have been given will be used to further confirm Christ in you and you in Christ. More fit for God's use. This is what God wants from our lives. We aren't given gifts to take us further from Him. These gifts made them more available and more useful to the building up of the, of, of the kingdom of God. The gifts of Christ are to enrich us in Christ so that by having the, the spirituals, as they're really called, the, the spirituals, by having the spirituals, we have the resources that God wants to use to take us from our identity as saints to actually being sanctified. And becoming more and more like Christ, and therefore more usable by him, picked out and picked for usefulness to Christ. So what are you doing? What am I doing for, to, to use what God has given me, use the time that I have, the talents that I have, the treasure that I have, to enrich myself in Christ? Yeah, I shared this with the, the first service, but I, I wanted to give an example. For instance, what are, you, what are you all doing on October 15th? That's a Thursday night. Got plans? NFL? Just sort of crashing because it's, uh, it's Thursday night and Fridays are coming. And it's been a hard week and Thursdays are always kicked back and cool. And we're we're going to have a concert here at church on October 15th with a group by the name of Gettys. You've heard of this. And, and I don't know if you understand the point of this all. This isn't because um, we have a very um, vacant calendar at Calvary and we're just trying to fill in with ministry or something. This isn't because we, we, we didn't have something better to do or something, something else to do on a Thursday night. This is a very strategic move that we choose to do here. An opportunity to, to actually invest in the enriching of yourselves in the context of a, of a worship opportunity with God's people. This is not just another concert. You want another concert or, or, or a play downtown Toronto? You can do all of that. This is actually about, about making the choice, as the Apostle Paul is talking here, about, about what he has given you, how he's, how he's resourced you with treasure and talent and, and time, and, and to take that and now invest it in an opportunity to enrich your life in Christ Jesus. That, that's what it means to, to come back tonight, to, to be with us tonight in our discipling communities, to, to purposely choose to enrich your life in the things of Christ, that you might be better equipped, better use, better, more useful. It's, it's like every professional athlete automatically understands 
That's why Paul used athletic metaphors. He said, I buff, I want to say buffet, I buffet my body. I bring it into submission like an athlete. This is what saints do. Saints take every opportunity that they have to enrich themselves in Jesus Christ. But it also says in the text, not only are we to take care of our personal investment, but we are to understand our responsibility to the community of faith. Look at verse 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Calvary Baptist Church does not lack any spiritual gift. What we might lack is everybody using their spiritual gift. In fact, I know we lack that. And the simple reality that, that when, when, when the Lord here, when, when the inspired word of God through the Apostle Paul states that you have everything you need, that's exactly what he means. But in order for us to benefit from everything that we need, we need everybody to be using what God has given them. The church has been gifted with all it needs, but to be great, it needs all it has. Christ has distributed gifts to build up the new temple of God, his church. You don't lack, he says. And he, he's already addressed this letter, not just to Corinth, but together with all those everywhere who call in the name of the Lord. So we don't lack. It's the power of everybody benefiting the whole community that makes all the difference. Versus benefiting ourselves. We don't need to seek more and different experiences. What we need to do is use what we already have. What God has already given to us. And, and the reason that churches don't experience the greatness uh, of, the, of the immensity of the giftedness that God wants us to have is there's sort of a presupposition there is that you're eagerly awaiting Christ. Therefore, to those churches, you have everything you need to those who are eagerly awaiting for the return of Christ. There's a whole different context, a whole different emotion in a great church that is waiting for a great Lord to come and, 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 uh, and receive them. And so the reason that perhaps we don't experience some of the amazing gifts that God already is willing to give us is perhaps our church is not passionately waiting for the coming of the Lord. You see, what does it look like to wait patiently for the coming of the Lord? It looks entirely different in how you live. If you are expecting the Lord to come at any moment, it's a different way you invest your life. It's a different way you invest your money. It's a different way you invest your time. If you're expecting the Lord to, to return soon and, and um, time to be no more and those who haven't come to faith in Christ are lost forever and are in hell, it gives a different urgency to the requirement of the giftedness of God to make a difference in advancing the kingdom of Christ. If we really believe that Jesus Christ would come at the end of this week, there isn't a one of us that wouldn't be exercising our giftedness within this congregation. You wouldn't be sitting around doing nothing. So, the question is, God's given you something. 
that is spiritually powerful in your life and enables you to be used of God to build his church and build his local expression of the church, Calvary Baptist Church. And every single one of you needs to be doing something in this church. Every single one. When we pull out those cards and service opportunity in the children's ministries, somebody out there has gift and abilities to work with children and you aren't using it. Finally, by the way, let me, before I leave here, uh, as one writer uh, alerted me to, and I think he's right, because we're going to get into some interesting stuff when we talk about gifts. And by the way, just so you understand my view of gifts, the Holy Spirit owns them, and I'm not his teacher, I'm not his instructor. Whatever God decides to do, he can do. He doesn't have to come to me and ask me what I think or how I interpret or anything of that nature. The Holy Spirit owns the gifts and he gives them out and distributes them as he will, when he wills, and to whoever he wills. Which also means that no gift that is distributed is required to be had by everybody. Okay? There's no... We don't have... No one here has all the gifts... Only Jesus has that, pretty certain. And no one here, no gift is required to be had by everybody. So I think you know where I'm going with that soon. Anyway, here's what Daryl Bach says. The intentional underuse of spiritual gifts may bother God more than the ignorant misuse of gifts. I think he's probably right. Because ignorance can be corrected. Laziness can't be. Ignorance can be redirected into the right ways of God. People who won't and are lazy and won't serve God can't be redirected anywhere. So, there's one final thing here. And it's great, as all these are. He will keep you strong. Why was Paul, I, why was Paul excited about this? I, I hope you've noticed in his, the introduction to his letter, Paul is always excited about the things of God because they're the things of God. Paul is always excited about the work of God because it's the work of God. Paul is always excited about the people of God because it's not up to the people of God. That's what he's excited about. It's always up to God. That's what ought to encourage our hearts and here's what he says in conclusion a a great church understands their total dependency on the lord he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our lord jesus christ god who has called you into fellowship with his son jesus christ our lord is faithful let me let me just cap this off really importantly god called if god called you to come into his family the way you know that he called you is that you were able to respond to the truth of the gospel and welcome it into your life. If you couldn't respond or haven't responded or didn't respond, you aren't yet called. You aren't yet a child of God. But if you were able 
to welcome and respond to the truth of the gospel, it's because God has called you into his family, has opened up your eyes, has opened up your ears, has opened up your mind, has opened up your heart, has opened up your will, and you have responded and believed. Therefore, you're called. And he explains here why you were called. You were called to be a saint, to be used of God, to, be, to advance the kingdom of God. But in particular, he says here, to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. The great reality of this call is Jesus called you to be his child, to be with him, to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And the great thing is this. I know many of us are wonder, well, okay, I'm, I have responded to Christ. I believe in him. I have experienced him. I believe that he is living in my life, but will I still be here 10 years from now? Will I still be believing God 10 years from now? And Paul says, yes, you will. Not because you're able, but he says, because God is faithful. He will keep you. What God has called by his grace, he will keep by his power. He has, God has put himself, his integrity, his power on the line, his grace on the line to say this. That that God has called, he will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. The church has not been called to be a service club that functions on the strength of collective human willpower and resourcefulness. The church is a spiritual fellowship that draws every useful amount of energy from the divine strength graced it by God alone. He will do it. And Christ is working on us. He will keep you strong to the end. What does that mean? Does that not mean that? Look at me. Look at your Bibles. He will keep you strong to the end and present you blameless at the coming of Christ without reproach, without dishonor to Christ. He's working. So for, for Paul, he realized they were a mess. They were a messy church that God had his hands on. And God was going to do it. And I don't know how messy we are, but I do know this, that a whole bunch of you waved at me as saints. And so I know that God is going to keep us and change us as we cooperate with him and become and increasingly become a great, great church. Oh, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We lift up our hearts to you this morning with gratitude. Re recognizing that people are fickle, but God is faithful. And what you have begun in our lives, you have promised to complete. If we have, if we have been called, legitimately called, and responded to the call on our lives, that can only mean the grace of God has rested in our lives. We are in Christ, Christ is in us. Confirmed by the evidence of spiritual giftedness. And he, God, will keep us strong and cause us to be blameless, make us blameless at the coming of Christ because he is faithful. Oh God, thank you in Jesus' name.
So wave at me, saints. Are you a saint? Look at all the saints out there. The saints of Calvary Baptist Church, called of God in Oshawa to be sanctified, representing the Lord Jesus Christ and in fellowship with Him. I thank God for every remembrance of you as I think about you. What a great, great group of people because you have all the potential in the world to be what God wants you to be, every single one of you. I just would encourage you to take every opportunity as God's people to enrich yourselves in Christ Jesus. When I talk to you about the concert we have coming up, it's for no other reason than to say this, God's going to fill this church with people. I just wish it would be Calvary people. That's all. It's open to everybody, and, and it'll fill up. But why wouldn't it be Calvary people enriched by Jesus picking a Thursday, random Thursday night to fill it with Christ and Christ alone? And then tonight, we have almost half of you coming back enrich yourself in the things of God on our discipling community nights why not more why not all of you enriching yourself in Jesus Christ it's as simple as taking the card in front of you filling out your name saying I want to be in a discipling community Pastor Calvin will have you in a community tonight gathering back around the Lord's table we're going to do some cool things tonight we're going to talk about some real application of what we've been talking about today we need to talk about this stuff and know what to do what things do you think believers need to, to let go of in order to be holy, to be saints to the Lord? Do you or your family have a plan of spiritual enrichment? Well, do you? We're going to talk about that. Are you benefiting Calvary with your gift? What are you trusting God to do in your life right now to grow more toward blameless? These are important applications. Otherwise, it's just an interesting discussion and information this morning. These are applications for our lives. This is what we're doing. This is what we're about at Calvary. Moving and advancing the cause of Christ in every person's life for his glory. Oh God, we give over this day to you. You are our beloved Savior. And we thank you for your commitment to us. It is amazing. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.